For the third year and counting, Richard Skipper has been celebrating the artists you love. And what are some of the things that you've really run out of time? And and we've got to talk about your latest. I want to go back a little bit, first of all, and celebrate a true legend. Richard Skipper is all about celebrating life, art, and his guest body of work. And did you pursue performing opportunities while you were in high school? Please join us while he showcases these diverse and talented individuals. Here's Richard Skipper. Happy Tuesday, everyone. I'm back after an incredible week in Provincetown. It is so nice to be back. And boy, do I have one of my favorite entertainers to celebrate tonight. Who or what are you celebrating? I hope you'll all be celebrating Karen Oberlin with me tonight and Lorenz Hart, uh, who she will be celebrating. Uh, She just recently celebrated Lorenz Hart uh, at the Peasantry in London, but we have her here in New York celebrating at the Laurie Beachman Theater. Uh, As I just mentioned, I just got back from Provincetown and what an incredible time I had there. I saw Natalie Douglas and Karen Mason and Sharon McKnight and David Mayoko and uh, Edie and Randy Roberts and so Zoe Lewis, so many incredible entertainers. If any of you get a chance to get to Provincetown, go and see the great entertainment that's there. You don't have to go to Provincetown to see great entertainment. We have it here in New York. And like I said, I have one of my favorite entertainers tonight, Karen Oberlin. Anytime we get a chance to sit down and chat with each other, which isn't that often, it's always a a treat. A three treat, but here we are together tonight virtually, and I'm not even drinking. So, <laughs> so, uh, but yes, you are. So I raise a glass to you, it's and I raise summer. a glass to all that you do in keeping oh. the Great American Songbook alive and well, and thank taking you. it around the world. So thank you. So as I begin with every show, who or what are you celebrating tonight? Uh, can I celebrate you? You can celebrate me. I would love that. Okay, let's celebrate Richard Skipper and what he does for our our community, uh, online, in person, year after year. I don't want to make you feel old because I've been there too. No, I and am. Year after year after year. <laughs> I've earned it. Yeah, even uh, my son. Wait, isn't your middle name Emery or there's an Emery my, in your my- name? My uh, middle brother is Emery. Very good memory. Thank you. I Because there aren't that many Emery's around, but my son Emery, when he was five, four, maybe, we went to see your Carol Channing show. So he's a big fan too. And I'm going to embarrass him here and say that he, he cried when he didn't get the the ring thrown in his direction. So I I think he's over it by now. He's 19, but... <laughs> But I am. I, but but didn't I give him a ring afterwards? You did. did. You yes. did. Yes. I made sure yeah. that he left with a ring. So uh, I just hope that for that he does not get it appraised. Uh, you know, Carol Channing ended up on in, uh, Nixon's enemy hate list, and she said that she always believed it was because Patricia Nixon uh, had the ring appraised that she gave her at the White House. <laughs> oh my gosh. I hope that's true. Yeah, I, I hope it's true. It's a but... compliment. I think it's a compliment. 
Honestly, but I don't she considered that one of her greatest achievements that she ended up on Nixon's enemy hate list. Yeah. And I think that if you end up on someone's hate list, uh, you must be doing something right. Yeah, it depends on which hate list. But I mean, just to have someone who, I mean, to think that someone has a hate list is already saying, um, saying a lot about that person. So uh, I would hope that neither of us are on a hate list uh, because we don't want to know anyone who has a hate list. Well, you know, to quote Carol Channing again, Carol Channing once said to me, sitting in the backseat of our car, believe it or not, she said, please understand, Richard, that for every person who likes you in this business, there are an equal number who don't. Accept it, get used to it, and it'll make life a lot easier for you. It's not necessarily true, but it does say, it, you know, yeah. puts things in perspective. So I, I, to I really, everybody, but nobody could ever hate you. So I want to say there are a few out there. Trust me. <laughs> um, I want to delve really into your the trajectory of your career and your love of this music that I love so well uh, mm -hmm. as well. I today I was listening uh, to your music thanks to my device that I won't mention my name uh, because uh, he will go off on me if I do that. Right. Uh, but there's so much to listen to because you, how many albums do you have altogether? Um, I have four solo albums. I, I'm on some other mix mixes, but um, four solo albums. Uh, I have three of them right here, but because we're going to talk about that later. We're going to talk about that. Yeah. And is music always playing in your household? Yes. Uh, David and I, my husband and I, will play sort of similar uh, styles of music, but we, we also have kind of far-reaching uh, interests as well. So uh, the sort of contemporary music that Emery is listening to, we're interested in that too. We're just interested in people who have uh, something interesting to say or stories to tell, uh, like the song, these songs that we love do. And I think there are some contemporary songs that fulfill that, you know, that have that story, have something that really can speak to people. Uh, but most, most of them are, I think, songs like Rogers and Hart songs and songs that are from the songbook. They really knew how to, how to do that, how to bring us out of ourselves and bring out parts of ourselves. Um, you know, I think kind of what you and I do is uh, uh, we're storytellers. Right. Mm -hmm. So we want a song that's even if it's first person, if it's third person, it doesn't matter. Um, it's it's seeing a whole arc of a story and seeing it through and finding just, you know, sort of finding all those colors and phrases and uh, to make it as real to ourselves. And of course, to, you know, God willing, people in, who are listening to us, make it really come across in the way we want. So. Absolutely. I chose the word fearlessness uh, as our word of the day, uh, because in this business, that's something that you have to have. Um, and I wonder if it's something that you feel that you have in spades. Uh, and if so, if it's something that you feel that you've always had, or if it's something that you feel that you've had to develop as your career has grown over the years. 
That's a great question. Uh, I feel that I pushed through fear uh, a lot um, and had to kind of push myself through it. Mm -hmm. uh, I was thinking when you said fearlessness too, though I thought uh, I thought of raising a child. Uh, you have to kind of be you have to be fearless. You're afraid for them, but you have to be fearless uh, in certain ways too. But I think um, musically, I've had to I think develop develop that. Um, but I've always had a little bit of a, a you know, I, I'm an adventurous spirit, I think. So I've always had that sense of wanting to try new things and, and be new places and explore new bodies of, of music. But, you know, the super nerdy side of myself just wants to, you know, read through the uh, Lorenz Hart biographies and, and, you know, find new lyrics and all that kind of stuff. Uh, but then putting all that together, uh, you definitely have to face your fear. Every time I say it's like having a new baby when you put a new show together, a new album together. Uh, so I'm reminded again of that. Well, this may sound like a cliche question to ask you, but uh, having a child and both you and your husband are in the business. I mean, he, you know, uh, is, uh, I think of him more as academia yeah. than what you are doing, but what's the secret? How do you balance it? Uh, for you personally, how are you able to balance it all? I have no idea. No. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's also good. Uh, it, it's like, it's juggling. It was always more of one, more of the other, uh, depending on, on what his needs were. Um, I think it's important when you raise kids. Not Are you talking about Emery's needs or David's needs? <laughs> <laughs> yes. 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 Uh, I think uh, I think it's healthy for kids to see uh, parents who are passionate about things and follow their dreams and follow their passions. So I've always felt like that was important for him. Also really important for me just to, you know, all of that. Um, and he's, as you know, he's come to a zillion shows and uh, we've been able to introduce him to that music. And he's actually performed at a few of my shows. Last time I was at the Pheasantry, which was, you know, 2019, mm -hmm. uh, he was in the show. He sang a duet with me and at Birdland and other places. So, you know, he went to LaGuardia. So celebrates. He, he's, that is something to celebrate. Well, no, he was in, he remember, he appeared in our show. That's right. That's yes. right. Yeah. Yes. He was so little then. Now he's six feet tall. Anyway, so back to the music. <laughs> no, but, I, I pulled up a question today and it, and the question that I pulled up, because I, I pulled random questions, you know, out of the air. And the question was, and, and I'm going to put you on the spot. So forgive me. Uh -oh. It says, share something vulnerable with someone that you care about to deepen your connection. So I'm going to ask uh, a question to deepen our connection. So oh in this business, from where I stand, um, you have had such success um, in the world of music, in cabaret especially, uh, with uh, the reviews, the awards, the accolades that you've received. Um, and again, I'm putting you on the spot with this question. What aspect of the business 
uh, has been a struggle for you? Yeah, I, I, I could probably think of a couple things, but um, uh, pushing pushing my boundaries. Uh, it is facing facing fears. Uh, I think I I don't really feel like I have a stage fright that disables me in any way. I've been performing since I was a you know, a toddler, as you can see by a certain picture that's going to come up. Uh, well, I'm going to bring that picture up now because <laughs> there it is. And I love this picture. I mean, you were destined for show business. Yeah, I was going to say, who could ever guess that this girl would be in, you know, sparkly cabaret dresses? Who would ever, who would ever guess that? Right? Well, I, you know, I, the reason I asked for this question, I think you said that you are probably around four years old at this point. I think. Uh, uh, yeah. yeah. And I asked for a photograph from this period in your life because to me, it, it, to be at that age is such a pure self. Mm. Uh, and I remember Emery sitting in the audience of my show. And the interesting thing about when I was performing as Carol to go there for a moment, uh, mm. and even being in Provincetown and when I was performing there, parents would come up and ask me, is your show okay for me to bring children to? And I would say, absolutely. I never get off color. I never go in that direction. And although I was at a couple of shows this past week where there were kids in the audience and the performers on stage still went there and they went knowing that there were kids in the audience, but that was their show. I would assume that it was yeah. on the parents that they brought them to those shows yeah, um, certain kids can handle things. Uh, you know, you kind of know your kid and what they're what they're able to process. I think that's the important thing. If they're too, I think I think parents know that, and if they don't, it's too late. So, mm -hmm. no. <laughs> but I but I you know I bring that up for for this reason because you know uh, Emery he went for the ride, and I think he accepted that I was that person on stage that character playing that role. And I, think, yeah. and I think that most children, especially at that age, also do the same thing. I asked for that photograph at that age because to me, and I've said this before, it's the purest self. Yeah. It's a time in life before people start telling you who you should or should not be. Obviously, um, either whether it was coming from you or your parents, or outside sources, there was a spark there that said you belonged in a spotlight. Uh, where did that inclination to be in the spotlight come from? Uh, I, I do have per performing parents. My father's a symphony musician, so that's very different, but it's still performance. Uh, I think when you just see a parent on stage and you grow up that way, uh, that can lead to that. But I think I was also just, I was unstoppable and I was either cartwheeling or on stilts or something. And my parents just probably said, just get her into a kid's theater group or something. And then that's, that's, you know, when all hell broke loose. So I think. <laughs> and I was musicals, uh, musical after musical. Uh, so I did, I did that as a kid. And then, uh, 
I did want an academic career in a way in college. So I did, uh, you know, I studied English literature. I'm always sort of interested in other passions uh, outside of music. I think that's can be a little bit healthy uh, just to take a little step away and then come back in. But this is really where my, my heart is, but mm -hmm. I, I, I'm still thinking about that, um, that vulnerability question. And I think it ties really well into uh, the four or however old I am there picture, four year old picture of myself in that I think uh, just getting outside of sort of pulling myself in and feeling, being able to fully marinate in the work uh, on stage was probably something that I had to be fearless about or push through um, because I was no longer uh, a pure hearted four-year-old. You know, you have all these other things going on. Um, but I, I, I feel like that's not necessarily a bad thing to, to sort of not just get comfortable, you know, to always be kind of, even when you're in that moment, just really trying to pierce through and, uh, and adjust, calibrate, even while you're in the middle of it. Um, I kind of, I guess I've grown to really, really appreciate that challenge. Now, I have a question from one of our viewers that I think you know very well, David. Uh, and he says, <laughs> he's watching, and he says that he's heard you talk about the difference between fearlessness and bravery. Could you tell us about that? So oh, thanks, he, David, for the question. <laughs> he didn't just come in from the other room and hand me a card. <laughs> Whether he did or not, I, I appreciate He's literally question. 10 feet away, I think, with the door closed. Okay. Uh, <laughs> thank you for that question, David Haydu. Uh, I, uh, yes, so I think, uh, I, I, I talk about this, about the fearless girl downtown. I love her. She's like a little girl with her hands on her hips in front of Wall Street. And she's just, you know, facing it all up. And, and, you know, all these little girls have pictures with her. And it's so beautiful to see that because she's really inspiring. But I don't love her name only because I think no one is utterly fearless. I think mm -hmm. we have to be aware of our fears and face them and acknowledge them, but still be brave in the face of fear. So uh, that's, that's something that I've put a lot of thought into, I think, just because you can't just push it away. You know, if you try not to think about something, you think about it more. And I think fear can be something like that, uh, that, you know, you sort of have to lean in a little bit. Great, uh, great answer. And, and thanks for the question, David. So. Uh, but <laughs> there's, you know, a lot of kids take dance classes, singing lessons, piano lessons, everything. But very few actually go beyond and pursue it as a career. What was the deciding moment for you where you said, this is what I'm going to uh, really pursue as my life's passion? Yeah. Uh, I mean, I think I felt predestined from when I was young and I think actually stepping away and having, you know, sort of an academic life, that that refresher was was really uh, helpful in 
you know, there's nothing like absence to make you realize what's missing, like, like COVID during COVID. And yeah, you know, we all felt that so strongly. And I, I think that was a really healthy thing for me because then I realized how much I'd missed it. Uh, and I started uh, taking theater classes again and singing classes again. And um, then went to circle in the square theater school and got an agent and immediately she said, well, can you sing? And I thought, well, I don't really have a book of stuff. I know a ton of songs, but I don't really have that. So that's when I really had to start stepping it up um, and just learning a lot of new material and getting, getting that together, getting my books together. And, and I, I toured a whole bunch in musical theater, but I realized and I'm not sure how to say this. So I, I love theater. And whenever I'm in a theater, I think I miss this smell. I miss this feeling mm. of being in a theater eight times a week, you know, but uh, I kind of, I just wanted to be, I just have my own more creativity on my side. And that's, I, I want to dance delicately, get delicately around that because there's a ton of talent and creativity in performing musical theater, as we all know. Sorry. Did so oops, that? that's my watch. Sorry. <laughs> did your watch just say sorry? Did you say that? <laughs> yes. It's polite. Yes, yes. So uh, no, I understand exactly what you're saying because I mean, it, and for some people, you're whether this is the right phraseology, excuse me, mm -hmm. you feel that you're more suited for that than for the other. Um but I think so yeah. But even when you were doing a solo show, you're truly not doing a solo show uh, because it's all about collaboration. It's the musicians, it's the lighting, it's, it's everything that comes together to make that. Was there a particular moment that made you want to do the switch? Uh, I think just putting on my own first cabaret show it was just, it really opened me up in a different way. And um, it also comes from waiting tables. So Steve McGraw's, do you remember Steve McGraw's? Oh, Anybody out there? <laughs> so I Nailed was, triad. So, yes, right. Uh, it was the two floors then. And it was, uh, I was a singing waiter forever. Plaid was upstairs. I was with Michael Winther last night at Birdland, the amazing Michael Winther. And that's where I met him. And uh and I got to see Lori Beachman. I got to see, you know, so, mm. so many performers. And there are a lot of musical theater performers, too, who, who were performing cabaret, but so many shows. So I was, I, I just fell in love with the art of that and making your own song choices that are really specific to you or me uh, and being able to mix it up, too. So you're playing one character, one song, and then the next one you you're doing something completely different. And then you have those creative choices with your musical director as you're saying, I love the creative aspects of it. Uh, I just had Ted here, um, Ted Firth, and who's musical, he wrote all these arrangements for the show. Uh, and he'll be with me and Steve, uh, Steve Doyle on Thursday at the Beachman. There's my plug, 7 p.m. And- uh, We're gonna get more plugs in a few minutes. Right, okay, excellent. Uh, but working with him, I've worked with him, uh, as he pointed out, 21 years. I said our, our uh, working relationship can legally drink 
now in the state of New York. And, uh, but that, that kind of collaboration where I'll say, well, what if, what if we put these things together? And, and we both have ideas and it's just always back and forth. John Weber, same thing. It's just, you know, you're, you're kind of, you're digging in and you're, you know, like creating sculpture, you know, it's like, it's, it's fascinating to me. And, and then, you know, learning about your subject or trying to think of the material that's going to balance out how the show is structured and how to put it together. And uh, I have worked with some amazing directors too. Very often I'm, I'm, I sort of do that myself. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, uh, and yes, the lighting people and the audience. I mean, how much do we realize how important audience is? Like, this is fantastic to be able to reach people who can't be in New York and how to, I think we'll always do this. And, and the fact that you do this still is really, really important. God, I missed I will tell you, being in Provincetown this week and seeing all the shows that I saw, I'm sitting there going, oh, my God, I cannot wait to be on stage again. I cannot wait to do it again because it's it's been over two years since I have done uh, any work on stage myself and I miss it. And I but I didn't realize how much I missed it until this past week, Uh, seeing so many of my friends performing live again and how much I really want to be up there. So when you did your first cabaret show, was it at Steve McGraw's? It was at 88's. Wow. Wow. And it was called, this is so silly. David still has a card up above his dress. <laughs> it was called Karen's first cabaret with a K. Very clever, right? Karen's. Yeah. Very creative and clever and edgy. No, definitely not. But it was really, I loved 88s and I, I loved the experience. And you that know, was a, that was such a beautiful room. I'm going to assume that you auditioned for Irv Rabel or did he know you so that you didn't have to audition? Uh, I came in through a director friend who said you should, you should do your show here. And he, he made the connection through Irv, but I had, I got to know him pretty quickly and, and we were friends. So, uh, oh. <laughs> oh, there it is. David just brought that in. <laughs> it's like my old headshot. I love that. Oh my, and, and you look the same. You haven't uh, changed. Oh, uh, yes, exactly. Precisely the same. Uh, but um yeah, I loved Irv. I loved that place. I was really sad when that when that went away. But then I did do a show at Steve McGraw's. Uh, that was, I guess, my second show. And just gone from there. And, you know, I think of a new subject or a new, you know, I just, my mind starts going and I just want to dig in and I want to read the material and I want to, you know, look at the songs and see if I can seek out people maybe in the estate who will have songs that I we didn't know we have a show a song uh michael feinstein gave it to ted for us uh that's never been sung or performed or recorded or uh before it was probably editing room floor song uh that's in the show i I have another question from david so he says uh he'd like to hear about the doll sitting on the piano behind you oh my god is you know all right david (laughs) 
I put I this feel like out. I've got Ed McMahon on the side here. I put this out especially for you because I thought you would appreciate it. It's I see I can't do this left to right thing. Here we go. It's Doris. Yes. <laughs> he gave it to me for Christmas two years ago. Wow. You know, you know, I thought it was uh, I thought it was KT Sullivan. It could be. It, did, it, it does look a little be. bit like KT. But the, I love Doris. Well, I I'll have to tell and I'm a huge Doris Day fan for anyone. Anyone knows me knows that I'm a huge Doris Day fan. Yeah, so I put all the, I put a whole bunch of things out. Yes, I see her all around you. I'll see you in my dreams here too. So I thought you'd appreciate that because you know I had a, a, a show. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Oh absolutely. my gosh, so many years. Uh, did you ever perform at Carmel? I did for her very last official birthday. Uh, that was 97. She was 97. So uh, so that was, yeah, three years ago because it's her centennial this year. Yes. And she was not well. We didn't know she was doing mm -hmm. that badly, but uh, so she wasn't part of the festivities, but she was in her home and knew about everything that was going on. And uh, she, I performed the show twice at her inn, Carmel by the Sea. So at her pet friendly inn. I stayed at the Cypress Inn. I love it. Yes. It's beautiful. And it was just so, it was, it was like, you know, a dream. It was just such a dream come true. And to be with all these other Doris Day fanatics, I mean, you know, fans and uh, like you and me. And to, I, I could skip sort of the basic biography. And I, I created a show, especially for them, that had a lot of like the tidbits, nitty gritty of the songs and her experience with the songs and, and that kind of thing. Because I think that they already knew all the basics about her childhood and you know in Cincinnati and her husbands and the you know getting into Hollywood and Les Brown and his band of renown and you know we could just spend the hour doing that but <laughs> it was it was glorious it was great to be there and I have a recording of her introducing me that I play because of another connection that we had and I have some letters from her and uh oh that's great yeah I'm sad that she's gone, but oh, but she's still with us. Thank uh, God for the music uh, and for people such as yourself who keep the music alive. But I want to go back to uh, Karen with a K uh, at 88. <laughs> what are your memories of that night, that first time that you were stepping on stage uh, in Frank Langella's book? He talks about that moment of stepping from the dark into the light. And that moment of stepping on stage for the first time in your own show, it's just you, microphone, the lights, it's you up there. And you know that this is home for you. That's exactly the word I was going to use, is I felt, I think, both terrified and completely comfortable and at home, somehow, coexisting. Uh, because it was so new, it was uh, scary, but, and it was just me, so my God, this is just me. Uh, but it felt so good. It just felt like this is, this is right. I've made the right choice here. Um, I, you know, I, in musical theater, I was before the red, I was, you know, blonde, very uh, soprano looking and I could hit those notes, but that's not where my voice lives. 
it's more in the Doris Day warm territory. You know, I'm not going to mm-hmm. say I'm, my voice is like hers. I'm just saying that that place. Mm-hmm. Uh, so it was always tricky getting it to be cast in certain roles. I'd probably be more appropriate now, older with a lower voice, but I, it, it didn't quite, I think, connect all the time in musical theater. They just weren't, I couldn't just play anything. I talked to Sarah Rice, the wonderful Sarah Rice. I uh, love her. Oh, I love auditioning. You know, it's like, well. Some people do. <laughs> um, uh, yeah, I actually like auditioning, believe it you or not. Did. I so, you did. I, I really, I, I found like it, it was a great exercise. Uh, and obviously I did get uh, some work that was really wonderful and exciting and satisfying. Uh, but it was, I knew, I knew when I started 88s and I just wanted to, I wanted to figure it out. You know, I wanted to learn more and more and more and more. And that's what I think, you know, when you've, you've hit it for yourself, it's just, you, it's like a, a bottomless trove of songs and information and styling and phrasing and listening and, and, you know, that it just couldn't, and it's, it's been that way ever since. So, uh, so yeah. And I, I think whenever somebody just says, okay, this is who she is. I want to stretch that a little bit. Mm. I I, I do. I enjoy just kind of trying on different things for size and, and you hope it works and it's not going to work every single time. Um, And that's another thing that, you know, we have to, it's like, I think I could hear Carol Channing, saying this too, that, uh, you know, you can't win them all. You have mm-hmm. to, to see the long, long game. And and she had a few flops in her history as well. Uh, but you knew that you were home when you got to 88s. And, the, but how long did it take you to feel that you were embraced by the cabaret community? Obviously, I'm, I, did you have an audience right away? Uh, Obviously, you may have been able to bring your paying audience with you from Steve McGraw's as a singing waitress. One hundred percent, I was a singing waiter, so that always helped. So I know that. Yeah. Uh, But how long did it take you to feel that you were part of the community? I think that was a slow burn. You know, just you meet people, and you meet people, and you meet people, and you go to their shows. And I, I'm not talking about quid pro quo. I'm just saying, you know, you just you just start start meeting meeting people and sort of figuring out who you know who you have most in common with and supporting people and just wanting to be. I I just I love um, I love the full enveloping atmosphere mm-hmm. and acceptance of what we do too that it's not ageist, it's not sexist, it's, uh, we take people, you know, there are exceptions, I'm sure, but take people for who they are, uh, and we don't need them to be someone else. Um, so I feel like we can, we can put, sort of be, be ourselves. So I think it took, it took time, uh, bit by bit, uh, and, Putting it together, yes. Putting it together. I remember now, when oh. you when you do a show called Cabaret with a K, uh, you have free reign to make that whatever you want it to be. 
Um, obviously, as time has gone on, you've done these incredible theme shows where you are honoring, which we're gonna brings us to where we're gonna go uh, with your Lorenz Hart show. Uh, but with that first show, how did you decide on the material that that show was going to be? And did you have a certain arc that you wanted to bring the audience? What did you want the audience to come away thinking after that, after being at your first show? You know, I think the 88 one was some, a musical person uh, I was working with. I'm, the name's going to escape me right now. Uh, Mark Malamed. Mark Malamed, you saw that, yes. Yes. So he kind of led things and brought me material and and uh and I think that wasn't a bad thing just to start out because I just didn't know anything and I didn't know 88s and I didn't know musical directors and I didn't know the you know how to do it so I think that was very helpful just to sort of break things open but once that Steve McGraw's show was probably where I uh, was really deciding on material for myself and uh and that was, I think, the first one where I, I really felt like I was making all the creative choices and choosing, finding things like um, by myself, I'll go my way by myself, you know, and I, I discovered that and I thought, this is so brilliant. And it's such a message of strength. And, you know, just just one of the songs I'm trying to think of the other material that was in there, but it was more of a variety of, of songs uh, than two. And then no, that's not right. David's going to correct me. Has he written to you yet? No. Uh, yeah. <laughs> it, was, it was It was. my first Daring Dames. That was Daring Dames, Steve McGraw's. And it was directed by Barbara Lee. Uh, so it was the first version of that. So it was about strong women. And I think, speaking of fearlessness or bravery or however you want to put it, mm -hmm. it's the same idea. But uh, I think I just really wanted to kind of own that. And to say, I'm gonna, I'm gonna be strong. I'm gonna be strong. Okay, uh, and just honor women that I thought were sort of fierce and and brave, and uh, had did had done things that were um, sort of stepping outside the box. And you know, from Loretta Lynn to you know, lots lots of of different women. Uh, I mean, you could say that we've all had to be brave in our own way, but that was exciting. And then I actually brought back that show. It was supposed to be March 13th, 2020. Oh, no, no. And March 12th. Everything I, shut down. I just thought, yeah, I mean, I could have done it. I do know people who did shows on March 13th. I was just too afraid of hurting people if that was and it just every minute you remember yeah we don't need to go back there necessarily but uh so i was going to do it then so then um then uh john weber and i had it virtually so it's probably out there somewhere but uh i think it's something that i would want to keep doing and and changing altering here and there depending on uh how i'm feeling about it at that moment but i think I, I don't think i've ever seen anything quite like it out there so it was something that i thought this will be a good message. This will be a good thing to explore about brave women in music, uh, whether the songs are about brave women or by brave women or were performed by brave women. It was sort of these daring dames of all different shapes and sizes. So that was that show. Uh, and then I was uh, breaking into the 
Doris Day material within a few years after that. And I had met Kitty Scabella and, and made the my standards. Yes. Uh, and yeah, that was such an exciting time. It was an exciting time of self-discovery, I think. I want to talk about where you are now. And uh, with uh, this new show that you just performed in London, uh, why this show at this point in your life? Is there any particular reason? Um, and why is this uh, particular music resonating with you right now? And has COVID made a difference in the way that you're approaching this music now? Yes. So I, I've always wanted to do a Larry Hart show. I talk about in the show of seeing Mary Claire Herron's, uh, uh Lorenz Hart show at Rainbow and Stars, and uh, and how it changed me. And I, I you know, was uh, sort of hearing this how piercing and heartbreaking and um, human the songs were, even though they were written so long ago. I just thought. God, he's one of my favorite lyricists. So I've wanted to do it for a long time, but other people were doing big Lorenz Hart shows that were so fabulous. So I wanted to wait until it was the right time, but it's something that's always been, you know, sort of living in the back of my head. Uh, and COVID was a sad time. There's just no getting around that. It was difficult. And um, he was a very... Um, complex man he no one could be wittier than Larry Hart but also no one could be more just devastating and heartbreaking so it was not a show I was going to do during COVID because it would just I think be too much that was the time for Doris Day you know and uh but I think we there's still you know this lingering bittersweetness uh you know, we, I think we've carried some of that, you know, melancholy. We're so joyous to be around each other and there's so much, mm. you know, gratitude. I'm so, so grateful for so much, um, like never before. And, uh, but there's, I don't know, it's still a complicated time, I think. And he's a perfect complicated character. And so I was just really feeling his songs and and that material in in a way that, was maybe even a little bit new to me. Uh, so it felt I know that uh, you, when you take on a subject uh, such as Larry Hart, you really do your research and you dig really deep. Um, what have you learned about yourself through his music? That I should give myself more time to learn his lyrics. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Oh my gosh, internal rhymes and just so many words, but they're all so delicious that you you can't you can't leave out those verses that Robert Kimball's book, you know, all these things uh -huh. that are very few other places or uh, uh, Dorothy Hart's book um, as well, edited by our friend Michael Colby and uh, or researched, I should say. Uh, I have a question from. Um... Uh, uh, one of our viewers, um, Brad, uh, what did you learn about uh, Larry Hart that you didn't know before? I think a lot. Um, I knew he was an alcoholic. I knew he was emotionally challenged. I knew, you know, a lot of that. Uh, 
I didn't know about his closeness to his family, his parents, how he would be this wild guy. Uh, I knew he was also closeted gay. And um, and that was obviously very difficult for him. But he would sit at home with his parents and quietly play Pinochle. And, uh, you know, there's this quiet serenity that he would find in those in those moments. Uh, you know, not when he was waltzing down the stairs in his fancy robe with the cigar and the drink and the, you know, so there was this other side to him. Uh, there were, I mean, there were so many things. Uh, I didn't know that, I, I didn't quite understand how prolific he was too. I didn't see the whole body of work sort of together. Mm-hmm. I knew he'd written a lot of songs. I didn't know Rogers and Hart had been, uh, the Kings of Broadway for such a long time too. And how long it took them to find success. Uh, and I tell the story, it's just a great story about the Garrett gaieties that they were just about to give up. Max Dreyfus, the main man in the music business heard uh, Manhattan, Richard Rogers was playing it. And he looked over his head and said, there's nothing of value here. And they were going to give up. And Richard Rogers was, uh, about to take a job as a baby's underwear salesman and Hart convinced him not to, and to do this little review and put Manhattan and these other songs in the Garrick eighties. And that was their huge, you know, it's amazing. On a dime, it could all change. Yeah. Isn't that, it's like, I'm getting goosebumps. Um, just thinking about that and how, but reading the biographies of how, you know, Larry Hart was older and had already then Richard Rogers and had already kind of been at it for a while uh, doing all these college shows and all this stuff, but just seeing it unfold in real time and how just how long it took them. And it, it's a good lesson about perseverance, I think, sticking with it. Um, so I've actually thought about that too and about, okay, you just got to play the long game and just keep going and keep going and keep going. And he was seeing, they were seeing all these people have success, Jerome Kern and, you know, around them become these you know, incredible successes. And it just kept escaping them over and over again. And wow. then boom, Garrick 80s, they were off and running. Well, you're going to be off and running. Uh, you're going to be at the Laurie Beachman Theater and you open, is it this Thursday night that you're this opening? Thursday night. Yeah, we'll, we'll, I'm sure we'll add a date or two, maybe in the fall. Um, but this kind of uh, came up quickly because I wanted to do this show with Ted Firth. And as I told him 20 years ago, I said, you know, I'm not going to be able to book you. Um, so I have to take what he has. Um, <laughs> it is so difficult. <laughs> I know. So, I'm, um, for it. Um, I'm grateful for you, Richard. So well, thank, and I'm grateful for you. All of the information will be on the YouTube channel. Uh, everyone who's watching, uh, we want people to go, obviously, and see the show live. Uh, and uh, so as soon as you add additional dates... We will get that information there as well. Um, so we are going to give away one of your CDs. Um, do you want to, uh, since we've talked a lot about Dara's Day, you want uh, or do you have a particular one you want to give away today? Yeah, uh, well, I, I don't have the Dara's Day one out, but I, ha- I have them. I actually have all four, three here. Uh, and I would be happy to sign and send all four of them. As a package. I would. I would be okay. So listen to that. You get four CDs. If they promise to listen to them, they have to promise (laughs) to listen. 
No one listens and to you have to do a selfie when you get them and you have to tag both of us and you have to tell everyone how much you love these CDs. Please. Yes. So it's all about getting the word out there. And if you're able to go on Thursday night, she can sign them in person. That's even better, isn't it? Absolutely. I would be great to do that. Great. So I've got some. Uh, I answer his question. Oh, sorry, Richard. I just. No, go ahead. Go I ahead. Answered, I answered his question about stuff about uh, Larry Hart that I didn't know. Did he want more musical information? Or did that do it? Well, he could let us know. Okay. So I've got some questions here uh, as we're, uh, these are just some fun questions is our, I call them my wind down questions. Uh, and the first question is a question I haven't even looked at yet. That's, it's uh, a surprise question. And uh, <laughs> they're, they're silly questions. Uh, uh, are you a game player? Did you, uh, do you play Monopoly? Did your family play games? Yes. And in, in my Husband, my son, and I are huge game fanatics. We love our our new favorite. Uh, we is uh, Rummy Cube. It's, I think we'll play it tonight after the show. Okay. Now you've inspired me. So when you play Monopoly, which piece are you? That's the question. Oh, I think maybe the shoe is usually because these boots are made for walking. For sure. <laughs> That's just what they'll do. I always would go for the little dog because it reminded me of Toto. Oh, so, yes. Um, again, I have a, a calendar. Uh, it's an inspirational calendar. My friend Howard Tucker, if he's watching tonight, uh, gave me this calendar. And uh, and just these inspirational expressions. And I, I love this. It gets me through. And uh, the it says, the more I can quiet my mind, the louder my gut instincts are. And you are with music and everything. How do you quiet your mind? Oh, that is, I felt better just hearing that. Uh, so important, um, especially when uh, you're raising a kid. And we all have very busy lives in so many ways. Uh, breath. I, I am a yoga teacher too. I just do it really just for the love of it mm -hmm. these days, just a class or two a week. But uh, and I practice and, and just breathing, you know, I say to myself more than anyone else, just, especially during COVID when there's so much anxiety, it's just, um, full, slow, deep breaths, close your eyes. One, even one can change everything. One, two or three. And just, just be and breathe. It sounds so like it can't really work because it's too easy it's too simple but it, it to me for me it, it's it got me through um that and being with my my cat i think well they get us through <laughs> dogs watching my door right now now <laughs> I have this background uh it, it's a beach background uh believe it or not because believe it or not today is national bikini day are you a beach person do you like the beach uh, I like like uh, evening walks on the beach. It sounds like we're on a dating site, but uh, <laughs> long walks on the beach. We are, we are. With my toes in the water. Uh, yeah, I I have been. I you know I, I'm not going to be able to lie out in the sun for three hours. I want to. Me either. Uh, you and I are on the same uh, page on that. I want to walk. I want to play a game. I want to you know 
splash in the water, that kind of thing. Uh, I used to water ski. I don't know if I could do that anymore, but. Sure you can. <laughs> um, so uh, what are the, some, what are, uh, this is my next question. What are some things that you realize now as you get older and especially being in this business? Um, I'm going to paraphrase this question a little bit. The business has changed a lot. Uh, I think you and I both hit the scene about the same time. Yeah. And the business has changed a lot. There are things that we both embrace and there are things that we go, oh my God, I wish that those elements were back. What are the things that you like the most that have changed in this industry? And what are the things that you miss that are no longer in place? Yeah. Oh, those are, that's so good. I think, I mean, the Algonquin comes to mind of things that I miss, clubs mm -hmm. like that, uh, and long runs, like two or three weeks, that kind of thing, or even five days in a row or three days in a row. Um, I miss that a lot. But um, there's always just new, exciting energy uh, and people doing innovative things. So uh, I think... I was so moved by how creative people got during COVID too. Mm -hmm. uh, and just trying to keep that art happening and keep it going like you, uh, especially. And, um, and that was really exciting. And I thought this is such a persevere, like we will not be stopped kind of a community. Uh, and that was, that's really beautiful. And I think I felt inspired by that always, but especially, especially now. Uh, and, we, we didn't go into this to make big bucks, right? Leaving musical theater was difficult in that way, as I thought, not that I was making cute, you know, but somebody else is paying and it's equity and you have all that stuff, you know, cared for. Uh, so you have to be in this for the right reasons and you have to love it. And I, I do love it. And I think the new energy of right now is, as, as, um, brought that to light more than, than ever. And the feeling from audiences, you know? Uh, so I, I was worried that our scene is going to sort of peter out when clubs like the Algonquin close or, uh, but then we have Feinstein's 54 below. We have, we have so right. many clubs and new clubs opening up. Um, so I think we won't ever be without, um, without the music. And, uh, Trying to think if there's anything else just right now is so on kind of ongoing but right now that i love um i'm i love i just went to see anais reno last night mm -hmm. and she went to high school at laguardia with my son too so i'm close with her and her, her mother and she's such a brilliant talent and i just love that she's 18 and she's this old soul and she can phrase and she can sing like she sings and her pianist was 20 and like a, he was like a Ted Firth when I first met him at 23 or 24. And uh, so that's exciting. It's a big relief to see that there's this discovery for these young people and that they're going to keep it going. And we're, you know, there's just going to be this ongoing cycle. Uh, I find a lot of comfort and joy from that. Wonderful. Again, from my calendar, uh, just admitting that something is a challenge in my life often makes it easier to sit with emotionally. I think we talked earlier a little bit about uh, the challenges. I mean, getting through COVID 
was a major challenge for all of us. Um, and again, thank God you have David and Emory there with you. But what, what got you through it emotionally? Yeah, I, I do think it was the music. I'm going to say it's my pet. It was our pets, too, because mm -hmm. our pets didn't know there was COVID or a certain political situation for some of it, et cetera. Uh, breathing, yoga, but hope. There was all, there's always been hope and love. I mean, mm. I think we all felt that. Again, it's such a simple answer, but it's really at the heart of it all, right? Absolutely. Um, One of my favorite books is called The Right Words at the Right Time. Uh, Marlo Thomas, their essays where she had all of these famous people uh, do an essay on the right words at the right time. And I want to ask you in your own life, the right words at the right time in your life and, and or career. So what, you know, what writers or... Uh... No, when someone said something to you and it was just what you needed to hear at that moment. There have definitely been examples of that and uh, pulling it out of a hat. Let's see if I can do this. Uh, I think people have said similar things to me that like, like what you just said of uh, don't go away from fear. Avoiding is just learning that avoiding uh, doesn't help. Uh, to, to you know, and just to lean into life. I think uh, I read um, certain uh, I'm trying to oh, bell hooks uh, books like that. Um, I was sorry to lose her. We lost her last year, I guess. Uh, she's such a beautiful writer. Uh, so I'll go to her essays for inspiration because she's not always, you know, there's fierceness in what some mm -hmm. of what she's writing, but it's always, it always is permeated and based on love and, uh, and, acceptance and uh i hate you know I, I i understand that we have to say tolerance i never liked that word either <laughs> like the bravery uh fearlessness thing but uh because tolerant i think we need to do a lot more than tolerate right thank you thank you well david you know he has barbara lee with a question mark so perhaps it was something that barbara lee said to you was she your first oh. director Way. Yeah, well, she was for the Steve, uh, the Steve McGraw's one, the Daring okay. Games, uh, and I loved her. Uh, I loved her so much. And when she was fading out, we had a big benefit. So Mitsuki and I produced a benefit for her, and she sang along. As you know, this, I'm going to get very choked up. But, you know, the music is still there, even when the mind isn't, and it's just such a beautiful thing. But, yes, yeah, she, she said... Uh, uh, Karen, stop trying to sound good. Mm. And that was a huge, yeah. So thank you, David. He's really good at pulling those things out. Uh, 
and I, when I've said that in a show, I've said, well, that'll explain a lot of what you're hearing. But <laughs> uh, because of course we want to sell good, but to not make that primary, um, I think we can broaden that out into life too, to not just be nice for nice sake, but to make it have real meaning in friendships and be kind, but with not just false kindness. I don't know. There's, you know what I mean? Just the, like more of a, of a grounded, genuine uh, self kind of kindness and living. Um, so that's something that I've, I've, been trying to do i think especially recently mm -hmm. maybe during covid too because you could see how vulnerable people were and i think it was more important than ever just to be genuine and kind and be able to be vulnerable and to show other people that you know we could share that together absolutely i i recently interviewed uh joanna gleason and which brings me to my next mm -hmm. question and one of the things that she said which goes along to something that I say at the end of my shows, which I will get to in a few moments. And she said that at the end of her shows, she always tells everyone to reach out to a friend on a Sunday night uh, because Sunday nights are for a lot of people, a vulnerable night for people. It's the end of the week for some, it's the beginning of the week for some. Yeah. So my question is, how do you feel on a Sunday night? Yeah, I, I do, I do believe in that, and I think uh, Sunday or Monday, I, I, I try to do that too. Um, we've had some family stuff going on. I lost my father just a couple months ago. I don't mean to do Sorry. this at the end of your show, uh, and my mother hasn't been fully well. So, uh, but it's increased our, our seeing each other and talking so much more. She likes to text, believe it or not. So we do a lot of that just throughout the day. Uh, and that's, that's improved mm -hmm. my life in a way that I thought maybe not that I was too old for that, but that, uh, I didn't realize that it was missing until it, it was, you know, was corrected maybe. Yeah. Uh, and it's just really good to reconnect. So I think that's, I think that's great. Who can I reach out to on Sunday? I'll think about that. Well, I, I'll, I'll give you the secret to that in a little bit. Okay. Um, <laughs> What is the biggest culture shock that you have ever experienced? And there's been a lot of that lately. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. I, I was in, uh, we went to Philly for, uh, to be poll protectors, uh, voter protectors last, you know, for the, presidential election and you know there was some funny stuff going on so it was good that we were there uh but we were we worked maybe you know 14 16 hours and we were in the hotel that night and uh watching the returns come in and i kept thinking 78 million people are voting another way uh but i think that that was kind of a shock awakening and, and it felt really bad at first uh but has turned around in a way where I, you have to dig deeper with people and not hear just the way they, mm -hmm. they voted one way just says everything that uh, there are certain things, uh, you know, 
racists, you know, there are certain certain aspects and certain people that I, I might not want to have a conversation with them about necessarily. But I think there are a lot of a lot. There's a lot of room for um, for discussion, and uh, that maybe I've just been a little short sighted about that. So I want I've been sort of in a deep dive, you know, socially, politically uh ad- advocacy uh, and that kind of thing just trying to learn more mm-hmm. and i'm right there with you i agree with that um how do you divide your day mostly i always do my vocal warm-up uh you know every day is it can be very very different in my life but uh i do try to uh organize it. I try to uh, plan ahead in whether it's going to be having lunch with a friend or if I'm going to be working all day. Uh, You know, obviously things like right now I'm um, here with you and then I'll be working on my show. Uh, So it can change a lot, but I always make time for my family, uh, breathing, yoga practice. I I try to just sit back and soak things in for a moment because I think that is not a natural state for me. So I have to make an effort to do it, but I want to get that Marlo Thomas book. So Uh, it's a great book and I recommend it to everybody. Um, And this is my last question for you. What is the best single piece of advice that you have ever received in this business? Stop trying to sound good. (laughs) (laughs) there you have it everybody don't go anywhere for a moment we're going to give away a a collection of your CDs and we'll see who uh, thank you all for being here oh I'm looking at all these names it's so wonderful thank you so Uh, much for being here Richard thank you for having us oh my god Uh, Shake Vlogs I don't even know who this is Uh, so please send me a new fan tonight um, please send me uh, Richard at richardskipper.com. Once again, uh, Richard at richardskipper.com. And I will put you two in touch with each other. And uh, you'll get the uh, CDs and you'll autograph them. Uh, I'm going to remove this. Don't go anywhere for a moment. And I want to say a few words. And then, Karen, I'm going to give you the final word. Uh, you'll have the final word tonight. So once again, everyone, um, I pulled the word fearlessness tonight. Um, we all have to get through our fears right now. Um, there's a lot going on right now. Uh, it's uh, my friend Daniela's here uh, and who is very spiritual. And we talk a lot. The planets are shifting in all kinds of weird ways right now. And every single day, it's like the shoe's dropping again, what's happening today. But don't let it paralyze you. Uh, Take it as a pause to think about what we need to do and get through it so that we can hold each other up and we can celebrate each other. And again, that's why I do what I do. And it's the music. It's the music that will get us all through this. And I was talking to a friend of mine today and... uh, She's going through a very difficult time right now. Her mother passed away last year. Uh, Her husband's been dealing with a difficult time. I'm not giving away who she is, but she's doing 
And I said, call me now. Drop whatever you're doing and call me. Because she said, I feel like I can't breathe. And I said, and my question to her was, how do you eat an elephant? And she just burst out laughing. And she said, <laughs> what are you talking about? I said, you eat it one bite at a time. You can't take it all and do it. But you need to take one day a week that is your time. Where you say, I'm going to go see a movie. <clears throat> I'm going to go see a show. I'm going to do whatever it is that is my time and get away. From, yeah. um, it's self-care. It's, that's hard to say. Sorry. What was that? I'm sorry. Self-care. It's self-care. We yeah. all need to do this. And yeah. it's the only thing that's going to, uh, I mean, going away this past week, anyone who knows me is I am driven. I'm a workaholic. Uh, it, today is National Workaholics Day also. Oh. Uh, I am driven. Uh, but <laughs> I, I know these things because I have a calendar that tells me. <laughs> um, but to go away for a week where I just said, I'm just going to go and enjoy my friends, see shows, and just let go was just such an incredible thing to do. We don't know how much we need it until we, we get there and we think, oh, my God, I, I needed this two years ago. Yeah. It was, it, it was needed and and maybe the universe was telling us this and that's why everything shut down and slowed down and perhaps we need to listen. So everybody take a moment to pause and to breathe uh, from the expert here and, uh, and take care of each uh, one of yourselves. Um, if this was your first time here tonight, I hope it will not be your last time. Uh, my goal, once again, is to celebrate art, artist, life, and each other. So if it is your first time, please consider subscribing to this channel. And even if you've been leaving comments during the show, when the show is over, please go back to the YouTube channel and leave a comment there and share this with your friends. It will get Karen's name out there. It will get my name out there. And it helps both of us. It's important to get the word out there um, and share it around. I also end every show by telling everyone to go out and do something nice for somebody else without expecting anything in return. Oh. Go to your Facebook friends list and reach out to the ninth name that pops up and reach out with a phone call, not an email message, not a text message, not a private inbox message, but a phone call and let that person know what they mean to you. As our dear friend Sean Moniger always says, we're all in this together, but we're not in the same boat. And I always say, if you're going to go out in a boat, make sure you bring a skipper along. So, <laughs> Karen, I'm going to leave the screen and you've got the final word. Anything you want to say about anything that we talked about tonight, <laughs> excuse me, that you want to build upon, anything that we didn't talk about that you wish that we had, this is your chance or just any message that you want to leave everyone with tonight. Uh, don't worry about how to end the show. As soon as the show ends, uh, as soon as you say goodbye, the credits will roll. I thank you for the gifts that you've given to the world and that you will continue to give. And my love to David and Emery. And David, thanks for your contributions tonight. Thank you. 
and have a wonderful evening. Thank you, Sarah. Karen. It's all yours. Thank Bye. you. Uh, I'm so grateful for uh, for Richard Skipper and what he gives all of us. And I, I was on the private chat, so I'm now looking through the the chats, uh, the comments, and I can't read them all and keep talking. But uh, about the dog and uh, just the, the the lovely, lovely comments uh, that people uh, have put in here and just interesting thoughts. And, and I, I want to spend more time with them too. Uh, and, um, thank you, Brad, about, um, my mom and my dad, I, you know, it, it's, this is, this is, this is, this is life. It's that cycle. Uh, and when we miss somebody who's gone, it just, I think it's a, it teaches us how much, how grateful, um, how lucky we were to have those people in our lives and think about the gifts that they've, that they've given us. Uh, and, and, and grieving is important too, but just to think about that. And I lost my dog actually, uh, two days after I, I lost my father. So that was a lot. Uh, but again, I just, there was so much given to me by the person and the, the, the animal, uh, and those musical gifts and the kindness and love, uh, unconditional love. So I, um, I want to amplify what Richard said and, and be kind to yourself. Uh, and we need to do that before we can uh, really be good for other people. And uh, people say that a lot, but I really think that that needs um, reminding for certainly for myself that along with self-care, uh, that, that is good for other people, for ourselves, for others. And that uh, nothing, COVID taught us nothing uh, less than than that, how much we really need each other and how important that is, those connections, those human connections are. Um, so thank you, Richard. Thank you so much for having me. Uh, thank you, everybody, for being here. I'm sending love and hope out to all of you. I hope you're doing well, and I hope you can also take care of yourselves and the ones you love. Be well. I feel like I should sing to say something goodbye, but be well, everybody. Thank you.